We give thanks that the Lord is by our side. We know that the Lord is by our side. We have confidence that the Lord is by our side um, because He has come to be with us, not because we have come to be with Him this morning. Um, uh, all of our efforts, all of our works, all of our uh, religious initiatives and so on and so forth, they, they cannot bring us to His side. The message of the Gospel is that that we could never be at the Lord's side. We could never attain to that height. But the Lord came to us, and He dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's why we're here today. Let's, let's pray, let's give thanks, and then we will uh, open our Bibles to God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for Your goodness and grace to us. We thank you that you are by our side. You are forever by our side. We thank you that we are able this morning to, um, because you have come to us, we are able to draw near uh, with hearts that are sp sprinkled clean by the blood of Jesus if we're trusting in him. And Lord, we know that anytime there's a gathering of, of people there's always the possibility that there are those who are not yet trusting in Jesus, who don't really understand what this song is saying. Maybe they do, but they know that they can't appeal to the Lord being at their side. Um, Lord, I, I ask that you would make them attentive, that they would listen, and as they listen, that they would hear something of the good news of Jesus Christ, that this would be a day of celebration in more ways than one, that they would, they would come to know Jesus um, and His salvation. We ask this in His name and for His sake. Amen. Locate in your Bibles this morning the New Testament letter to Titus, and we're going to continue um, with our series this morning on unfinished business, pursuing gospel identity on a godless Island, Titus chapter 3, and I'm going to begin reading with verse 4. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. Please um, read along uh, with me as I read. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have a Bible app or something, just listen attentively to the word of the Lord. The scripture says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, 
have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. Hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 5 says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. Proverbs 29.22 says, A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. Proverbs 16.28 says, A a dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. Proverbs 22.10 says, Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out. And quarreling and abuse will cease. Now these sayings from the Jewish wisdom literature of the Old Testament communicate that if the peace of individuals, families, congregations, and nations is to be preserved, there must be conflict with those who create conflict. Something that we don't always understand. The people of God must divide from those who are divisive and from those who stir up strife. We must examine ourselves to see how our own tendencies to anger and anxiety may produce such things in our own lives, sowing with our words toxins that pollute the soil of our relationships. Although our society does not seem to grasp at any level the idea of consequences, yes, even perhaps for very serious things, what we say and how we say it has consequence. Sometimes I hear the people say a slogan, um, silence is violence. You've heard that before? Silence is violence. Trust me, there are some people you don't want to speak. Let, let, let them keep quiet. Let, let them stay you know, with, their, with their mouth quiet because it's not worth hearing. We, we, we have to affirm that. We have to say there are, there are times when it's actually better not to say anything. Uh, James in the New Testament says... James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I don't think we, we want um, angry, violent people talking. So we, we have to understand who, who's speaking, who's worth listening to, and who we should separate from if it comes to that. And these are uncomfortable things. Now, a perversion of these words, though, has sometimes set in. Sometimes people refuse to address divisive behavior because they don't want to be divisive. And so what happens is the divisive characters have free reign, while those who know that it's wrong don't say or do anything to address it. And the problem continues and is perpetuated. Uh, Some refuse to say no to bad actors in the church because they don't want to get involved or don't want to take a side. 
Some have a horribly skewed understanding of what Jesus said about turning the other cheek that completely ignores principles of instruction, correction, rebuke, discipline, and indeed justice. Churches that won't learn from the Word of God on this die. Now, some of you might not, not be particularly attached to a local church. Some of you may attend, you may drift in and out, but you're not a part of a local church body. So when I'm talking about the church this morning, I'm, I'm simply referring to Grace Baptist Church Woodgreen. Grace Baptist Church Woodgreen, if we do not learn from the Word of God about what we say and how we say it, we will die. But similarly, I want to appeal to those of you today who are not attached to a local church, to those who aren't even trusting in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of test these words to see if they are trustworthy because if Scripture's talking sense on this, maybe it's talking sense on other things. And it's worth you listening to those things. Your relationships... Your interactions, the health of your family life, your friendships. If you don't learn from the Word of God on this, those things will die. Maybe we can attest to ways in which they already have. Our desire, I hope, as those who are submitted to the Lord Jesus Christ, is to thrive in Christ-likeness. Not simply to survive this world, but to flourish in it. We, we, we don't want to add further darkness, do we? When Jesus said, you are the light. Like a city on a hill at nighttime. We, we don't want to, to poison this world any more than it has been, do we? I hope not. We should be a little more resounding in our denials about being interested in that. But we want to have a, a, an identity, a culture that is shaped by the gospel. Not what's going on out there. They don't know Jesus. But we say that we do. And Jesus has said to us, by the Holy Spirit, through His servants, you, that is the church, you are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood. You are holy stones that are being built together into the temple of God. So instead of being concerned about the toxicity out there, perhaps let's, let's be concerned with driving out the poison that's in here. And as we do... I think we'll know great blessing. I want to encourage you with, with good news today. I had originally um, titled this message, Bad News. I just felt that, was, that wasn't doing the text uh, justice. I was just going to look, read verses 9 through 11 about these nasty characters that come into church life causing problems unnecessarily. Um, uh, but, but those words begin with a reference to the former words about the gospel. If I just were to stand up and talk about bad actors in church life, then it'd just be a rant and we'd all go away heavy because, oh, that's not nice. But we have good news. We have a better way. 
And that's the first thing I want you to see. Gospel identity is only started, strengthened, and sustained by good news. Now, that statement is more obvious than um, it might at first seem because gospel literally means good news. You cannot have a gospel identity if you're shaped by bad news because a gospel identity literally is good news identity. So if you are consumed with bad news, with bad things, with poisonous communication, you're not going to be shaped by the gospel. I hope you understand that. The text tells us about the gospel. Lest anyone uh, be confused. The gospel is not about you or me. The gospel is about God. And all that He is. And all that He has done. And yes, all that that means for us. The gospel starts with the goodness and loving kindness of God. The goodness and loving kindness of God is eternal, after all. It predates this universe. God is as He always has been. He's always been good. He's always been filled with loving kindness. He's always had the character of goodness. He created the world good, and we have made a mess of it. It goes deeper than we've been bad. I think we've trivialized that, haven't we? You know, we, 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 think about, we think about the kids. Have they been bad? And, you know, we're talking about little misdemeanors maybe, and, you know, it's sort of like childish stuff you grow out of, hopefully. We're talking about rebellion against the creator of the universe. Sin is, is rejecting the goodness of God. Sin is rejecting the goodness of God's design for us. It's saying, God, you're not good enough. Your word isn't good enough. Your ways aren't good enough. That's what sin is. And we need to, we need to get used to calling it that way. Sin is evil. Sin is, is rebellion, active rebellion against the King of Heaven. Can, can we just call it for what it is? But the goodness and loving kindness of God that Titus, rather Paul, talks about to Titus is goodness and loving kindness experienced by lost sinners. When the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. See, this is after there's an hour in the equation. Once it was just God in His light, in His glory. And then there was the world. And then there was... There was our darkness. But the light of God has shone in our hearts, illuminating our dark hearts. If we, if, we, if we are attentive to Him this morning, we'll see that though we were unworthy, though we were lost, though we were astray, though we were far, the goodness and loving kindness of God came to us. God saw we were lost. God saw that we were, you know, in problems of our own making, but He acted as our Savior. That's the Gospel. And, and, and specifically, God acting as our Savior saved us by His mercy. So not of anything that you've done, 
saved us by His mercy, quite apart from our works. He gives us new life. How does He give us new life? By something that we've done, right? Absolutely not. He gives us new life by His Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit abundantly through Jesus Christ. So there's nothing that you have thought, said, or done that has conjured new life. Sometimes people say, well, I, I prayed a, a sinner's prayer and, so, and, and God gave me new life. What gave you, dead in your trespasses and sins, the life to cry out, Father, have mercy upon me, a sinner? Do you, are, are you following me? What was it within your soul that, that came to life with repentance and faith? So that you see sin for what it is. And you, and, and you see faith as, as, as something that, that's it's like not natural to you. But it's good and it's great and it's worthy. And so you embrace repentance and faith as you pursue Jesus. God gave us that. He gives us new life by the Holy Spirit. God gave us the Holy Spirit abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And although He doesn't go into the details in the verses, Jesus Christ is our Savior by being the Christ. So He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one of God. He is the only great prophet, priest, and king of His people. All of those at one time uniquely appointed to speak the Word of God, uniquely appointed to represent the people of God before God, making sacrifice for them, and uniquely appointed to reign forever over us. That's Jesus. And He saves us. How does He save us? By dying on the cross for us. As a perfect man lived a perfect life that we could never live, He dies a death that we deserve to die to satisfy the demands of justice. I mentioned a slogan, silence is violence, a bit ago. And I, I'm like, eh, some people you, you might want to be quiet. But I actually agree with the slogan um, uh, because it, it's, it's thoroughly scriptural. No justice, no peace. If there is no justice, there will be no peace in our walk with God. There will be no right relationship with the Lord. There will be no unity or reconciliation with Him. That's why we need Jesus. Because we could never satisfy the demands of justice, but Jesus does. And in satisfying justice, He turns away wrath, He washes away our sins, He declares forgiveness, and He brings us to God. So we are right with God by His grace, and we're adopted into God's family. We are brought to God, but it is all by grace. We have privileges, but it's all by His power. In the same way that these children didn't have any say in their parentage or in uh, the world that they were born into, in, in the nation in which they live, or really anything at all to do with their existence. We, we don't particularly have um, a contribution to our salvation apart from our sin. Do you understand the implications of that? You have contributed your sin. That's what you bring to the table. That's not something to be proud about. That's not something to boast in. 
But grasping that will, it shouldn't discourage you. I'm not saying that so you go away under a cloud. Because if you've turned from your sin and, and, and you're trusting in Jesus, you can know that you are right with God. You can know that you have the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone came to me asking, um, asking me if I would cast out their demons. I've had it many times over the years. And I always answer the same. Are you telling me you're lost? Are you telling me that you're, you're, you don't have the Holy Spirit? And the answer, of course, was I, I believe in Jesus. I believe I have the Holy Spirit then we need to stop misinterpreting the difficulties that we face. We need to stop attributing to some sort of internal attack of the spirit realm on us as some sort of demon possession thing when if we are in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit, we have one Master, His name is Jesus, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And whatever else is out there is out there and it will stay out there because He has protection over us and His power is within us. Okay, so, so this, this is how we are shaped. This is how we're, we're transformed by the Gospel as we experience the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appearing with His mercy, His new life, His abundant Holy Spirit, His salvation. So Paul tells Titus, insist on these things. What things? Gospel things. Insist on the gospel. So that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. We're not going to be able to sort our mouth problem out if we don't first go to the gospel. The gospel is what's going to change our hearts because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And as it changes our hearts, we start changing in what we say and how we say it and why we say it and all of the various things about speech. But, I mean, also, remember this is a letter and this is at the end of the letter. Paul is saying, not only insist on these things, gospel things, but insist on gospel-driven things. So the past chapter was about cultivating a good news culture among men Women, leaders, workers, and citizens, everyone's covered by those categories in pursuit of a unique and distinct community that not only stands apart, because if we're just standing apart, then there's, there's no engagement happening, but a church, a community that shines into a godless island that finds itself functionally leaderless, lawless, and loveless. Gospel identity is only started, strengthened, and sustained by good news. If we keep going back to God is good, I'm a sinner, Jesus is my Savior, He calls me to repentance and faith. I don't know how we would have so much time for other nonsense. If we're always checking ourselves with the reality of our sinfulness before God, but of the beauty and glory of His salvation and His worthiness and His beauty and His grace, and we're not, we're not doing this out of some sort of guilt trip, but we're doing it because we're amazed by God and who He is and what He's like, 
then that will transform us. But if we always are going back to bad news, bad news that's true, the true accusations of Satan that throws your sin in your face, or bad news that's false, that needlessly divides, this church will die and any, anything that we touch will wither and perish because we're not shaped by good news. There's something else I want you to see, though. Gospel identity will never be started. It's the flip side. Gospel identity will never be started, strengthened, or sustained by logic skills. It will never be started, strengthened, or sustained by what? Come on, guys. Bad news. Charles is on the ball this morning. Bad news. Do we understand that? Look, he says in the text, avoid foolish controversies. Verse 9. Avoid foolish controversies. Now, not all controversies are foolish. Of course, you're rolling your eyes and you're saying, here he goes. He's now going to excuse all of the ways in which controversy is acceptable and okay. Um, I, I really don't want to do that. But knowing how all of us can function in these moments, we have to say that some controversies matter. Notice, Paul uses a qualifier. He does not say avoid controversies. In fact, this whole letter is filled with controversy. He says avoid foolish controversies. You see, false teaching matters. Sinful behavior matters. It is not foolish controversy to call both out. Some have tried to trivialize doctrines of demons and works of Satan into being foolish controversies. We're not, we as the people of Christ should not be about backing out of fights that eternally matter. But there are other things that are wasting our time. There are controversies over dishonest things. The lies that people tell you and the lies that you tell yourself. There are controversies over stupid things. If you'll indulge me for a moment. I've heard, I've heard I think I've heard it all, and then I'm sure I'll hear something else potentially before the day is, is done. Conflict within churches over the color of wall paint, the type of flooring or pattern of carpet. Whether seating should be reserved, these are real scenarios. People's mouth to my ear about conflict in their church that has destroyed their church. Whether seating should be reserved at the front for the hearing impaired. Is that not partiality? The favored brand of refreshments for after service tea. How many slices should the cake be cut into? <coughs> Someone didn't get seconds at after service meal. Someone didn't get any of a particular dish, though they had plenty of the rest. Someone didn't like what someone else said about their dress or their hair. The church was too old. I remember uh, a young man saying, we're all getting old. He was not even 20. It's a very strange comment. <laughs> and 
most of the members had been within the 20 to 30 age range that had been admitted recently. Baffling. Um, oh, here's flip side of that. The church was too young. The church sang only hymns. The church sang mainly newer songs. There were no instruments. There were too many instruments. The church was too churched, too churchy, too wholesome. Perhaps it was afraid to get its hands dirty in the messiness of mission, evangelism, and personal discipleship. The church just had too many broken, needy, toxic people. These are, frankly, I, I fear, far more foolish even than those that Paul had in mind. And yet people leave churches over these things all the time. Churches have argued about and split over these things, and smaller. There's, I, I almost feel like I'm blaspheming, mentioning such things. They're so offensive, and my fear is that they... They turn away people who would otherwise trust in Jesus, but we've got to call it out. Someone's got to expose it. Controversies over stupid things. Easily resolvable matters become points of contention and falling out, defaming the name of Christ. Or maybe it's something else altogether. Maybe it's, it's propaganda, disinformation, Conspiracy theories. Guys, I got a text. During my sabbatical, there were a few people who texted me. And I, I have to answer. I just, I'm that way. I, I, but particularly when someone texts me telling me not to buy meat from a certain company as it, it's in fact human flesh. Now on the surface, that is a nonsense text. We have pretty strong health and food regulations in this country. But it was such an outlandish thing, and there are very outlandish things that happen all the time, I decided I would do my due diligence and look into it. I, I discovered a satirical video from a satirical program that was shown on Channel 4 that was making some important critiques, very British satire, maybe it was a cultural misunderstanding. It was definitely meant to make a serious point, but it was not meant to be taken literally. So I responded to the individual, of course, feeling, bless your heart, but also really annoyed that there's a problem with that level of discernment, you know. In five seconds, I discovered that this was, I knew it was bonkers, and then when I looked it up, it was obvious. Much to my horror, he told me that he was simply passing it on, that he'd gotten it from an auntie. WhatsApp aunties, please watch yourselves. Do some fact checking. Because what, what, you, what we might not realize is that when we have stuff like that going out and people see on our, our bio something about you know, the gospel, John 3.16, you know, Christ is my hope, Christ is my life. People will think, they see your nuts text, and then they see 
your gospel and they confuse your gospel with your nuts text. So let's be discerning and, and not everything is worth a share, right? I knew immediately that that was wrong, but there are so many things that you ought to be able to know immediately and we, we should be sharper than we are. Um, I'm used to people doubling down. I was refreshed when he, he said, oh, I, I'm, I'm really sorry. I was, I was just passing on. And then I thought of the thousands in that, that lady's contact list that probably got the text. And then it, all it takes is one more to believe it. And the next thing you know, it's all spread. Genealogy. Some of you are like, I don't know what that is. And I've heard preachers say, oh, this isn't important for us today. They're not paying attention. Genealogies is maybe the depth at which they were dealing with it was kind of like astrology, seeking meaning and showing deeper knowledge, interest stuff in things that are outside of Scripture while neglecting Scripture. It's very interesting. There's quite enough here to digest without looking for the deeper meaning of stuff that's purely hypothetical. Um, but, but this really has to do with identity. Probably the number one question today relates to identity. It has to do with ethnic superiority. Something that all of us are familiar with or touched by in some way or other as victim or perpetrator or both. From false religions that play up their heritage. We've talked about various cult groups that identify themselves very strongly by an ethnicity and whether it's the black Hebrew Israelites assaulting me on the street with all sorts of verbal abuse or ideas about apostolic succession. Someone can trace their pastoral lineage all the way back to one of Jesus' disciples. Genealogies, guys. Just because you, you may very well be in the line doesn't mean that you are in line. And then he talks about dissensions and all the things that, that we, we're divided about. Dissensions, what divides you? What breaks you up unnecessarily? Quarreling and quibbling and bickering and tearing into others. This stuff will never sustain gospel identity. It's thoroughly depressing and destructive. Quarrels about the law. Think about various legalisms. Making, in those days, they were actually taking the Old Testament, something that God gave, and they were imposing it on um, new believers from Gentile backgrounds. Actually, to me, that seems more palatable than the type legalisms we have today. Because there's stuff that you can't actually find chapter and verse for at all that people make a massive deal about to the division and destruction of churches. Maybe you're thinking about some of those things now. Making things that are not even God's law into matters of the law. Acting as though there is no law, even no moral law, is a problem that Titus had to contend with. But... Think about this, this reaction to it was worse. The imposition of all kinds of opinions. You may be entitled to hold your opinion. You may be entitled to have a personal preference. Even Paul says, 
personal preferences are okay. You're free to do that or to believe that if it's not contradicting the gospel. However, when we take things which are not in and of themselves right or wrong, and we make them to be right or wrong, and then we force that on someone else, that's a type of legalism. We dare not elevate anything that is not gospel or necessarily an outflow of the gospel into our gospel identity. But it's been done. I, I remember uh, growing up, the family of churches in which I was raised was engaged in and emerging from an, an important and necessary debate, uh, the authority of Scripture. The Bible is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. That's what they were arguing about. Is it or is it not? Those who believed it were called conservatives. Those who, who did not were called liberals. Now, that's, I'm giving you some context. My family came to the United Kingdom in February of 2002. My father was scheduled to preach at two churches in Northern Ireland. At one, we were told beforehand, that church is more conservative. And the other, we were told that church is more liberal. So, of course, we're thinking that it has to do with scriptural authority or whether they believe in the resurrection of Jesus, literally, or something like that. The defining issue of conservative and liberal that they had in mind was whether the women wore things on their heads during worship. There are churches in this country that are renowned for the expectation and enforcement of a strict dress code, namely suits and ties as an alleged demonstration of spirituality and reverence. And if you fall foul of that, you are irreverent or disorderly. I listened to an elderly pastor a few weeks ago who has led his church out of that type culture. He remembers decades ago when he was my age, and had just been appointed in leadership in that church, the great scandal that it caused, that instead of a proper suit, he was wearing a sport coat. <sighs> Guys, the name of Jesus is defamed by rubbish like that. What is this community to think of such things? And it's not about man-pleasing in that sense before someone starts? It's about are we adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are we commending the grace of God to people? Or are we binding up burdens that they cannot carry? I listen to um, people talk about all sorts of bad experiences and they do weigh heavily on me when I'm talking about these things, but I'll I'll, I'll spare you too many more. I, I do remember um, uh, Ileana telling me about Christians in her nation to show how cultures are different. There are some Christians in her nation who reject ties. Um, there's nodding there. There's, who reject ties. Why? Because they're worldly. And they communicate that because they have an arrow shape at the bottom or something like that is what I was told. So the tie points down, so it's pointing to hell. It's of hell, I suppose. I don't know. I decided to play it safe, and so I wore one of those nice trendy knit ties with the, the flat bottom, <laughs> just so everyone was happy. We have to be creative in such moments. 
Gospel identity is so crucial, but there are some things that some have made other preferences at the core of their identity, so they become known as the, insert, whatever the issue is, church. And what is in view is not necessarily a scriptural or theological statement, but something preferential. Oh, that's the head covering church. That's the old hymns church. That's the homeschooling church. I can say it because I was taught at home. That's the floor-length skirts church. That's the church that says you aren't a Christian if you don't speak in tongues. That's the white garment church. That's the keep going, we could do it all day. What happened to that's the, that's the Jesus church? That's a church that's ordered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the, the grace church that proclaims that Jesus Christ is God our Savior and He's appeared and not of works are we are saved, but simply of His mercy and the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the kind of church we need to be pursuing. That's gospel identity. And by all means, if you have a personal conviction and you are persuaded, then keep that conviction. And don't let someone enforce their legalism on you against it. Because it works both ways. But our pursuit should be Jesus. Finally, I want you to see that gospel identity must be preserved not only by what we pursue and accept, but by what we avoid and reject. You don't have... This is good news. Some of you might say, oh, that sounds a bit harsh. No, it's only harsh if you're the bad guy in the scenario. It's only bad news if you're, if you're the contentious person. It's good news for me to hear I don't have to deal with absolute nonsense forever. It's good news. I don't have to deal with an angry, divisive person forever. It's okay to, for, for me to say no more. And it's okay for you to say no more. He says avoid, avoid these things. Avoid foolish controversies. Avoid you know, all of these um, uh, the, the quarrels and fights and quibbles and things. Avoid pointless division is what he's getting at. Ask yourself this, because some, sometimes people don't know what's pointless. Two questions. Is it profitable? Is this really going anywhere? And is it... Is it a fight worth winning? Is this really the hill on which I'm going to die? Is it worth it? Is it profitable? Is it worth it? it unproductive, aimless, empty, useless stuff. Just avoid it. Don't get involved. Second thing about um, avoiding and, uh, uh, and rejecting. You not only avoid, you reject. You avoid pointless division. That's impersonal. Maybe easy enough to do. You reject people of division. Are you following me? You avoid pointless division. You reject people of division. It says it in the text. Verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. I take this literally. 
It's why I have not only personally done this, but I have practically advised and counseled people to block people. I don't think it's unchristian to block someone. You're, you're doing them a favor and yourself. You're not oxygenating their anger. Block them. Mute them. Remove them from your contacts. You, you don't need that in your life. We don't need that in the church's life. That is not representative of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're saying, oh, but this, that, that. Are they stirring a division or not? I don't say this lightly. It comes with personal cost that I have experienced. And yet, therein is great freedom. Perhaps this person has a disagreeable spirit, a, combat, a combative disposition, or maybe, watch out for these ones, they're real charmers, smooth operators who worm their way into some people's affections while behind the scenes they manipulate and abuse in pursuit of their own selfish agendas. Regardless of their personality type, they sow discord, they turn people against each other, they cultivate doubts and fears, they exploit anxieties and vulnerabilities, and whether in shouty confrontations or by WhatsApp whisper campaigns, comment threads, social media harassment, or circulated letters, they dishonor their elders, abuse the body of Christ, and bring the name of Jesus into disrepute. Like Korah and his sons that we were talking about at prayer meeting, they may posture very spiritually as thoroughly sound and in the right. They ask questions and demand not only answers, but agreement and acquiescence to their requests. The more you engage them, the worse it gets. The more you make an effort to listen, take time to meet, answer their questions, respond to their objections, and attempt to address them reasonably, the worse it gets. If anything, some seem energized by conflict, fueled by conflict. And sometimes the divisiveness is not about those things which are to the outside eye little things. It could be big things. It could be gospel things. Let me be very clear. In that scenario, the divisive party is not the one who holds to biblical faith and practice. The divisive party is the one who breaks away from biblical faith and practice. It is not divisive to stand and declare this is what the Lord says when someone denies that Jesus is God, when someone denies that Jesus is the substitute for our sins, when someone denies that He rose on the third day, that salvation is only by grace through faith in Him, that there's only one mediator between God and man and His name is Jesus, not His mother, not His disciples, just Jesus. That is, he is refer that He's returning to judge the living and the dead and that an eternity of heaven or hell awaits depending on one's relationship with Jesus. It's not divisive to stand on the Word of God and say, thus says the Lord. It's not divisive to insist on the pursuit of Christ-likeness even against cultural norms. Those who depart from God and His Word, those who add to or take from the gospel of grace, those who pervert that grace into ungodliness are the divisive ones. And we ought to be able, whatever the case, with clear heads and clean hearts, stand our ground and have peace by resting in Christ and the goodness of His design for who and how we ought to be.
Let me close by saying, it's good news to be rid of this. It's good news to move on from anger, bitterness, and strife. It's good news to put those things to death in yourself. And it's good news to discipline those things out of the church. Maybe, maybe this is stuff that you've suffered from. It's good news to be free from it. But let me challenge you today. Maybe you are the contentious man or woman. And you can't break free from your old habits of communication and unchristlike aspects of your personality. This message is your warning. There's good news for you this morning. Let's bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want you to listen to the words of this hymn. Maybe you can't hear the good news because there's too many voices around you that are distracting you from truth, just distracting you from goodness. This hymn says, Above the voices of the world around me, my hopes and dreams, my cares and loves and fears, the long-awaited call of Christ has found me. The voice of Jesus echoes in my ears. I gave my life to break the cords that bind you. I rose from death to set your spirit free. Turn from your sins and put the past behind you. Take up your cross and come and follow me. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our Savior and God. We thank you that you have dwelt among us because we could never dwell with you. We thank you for the truth at the beginning of the passage we've been in today, that you, your grace, your mercy, your loving kindness has appeared, and you have given us new life. Thank you for Jesus and all that he has done for us on the cross, in his resurrection, in his ascension, and now his intercession for us. Please, Heavenly Father, hear the prayers of Jesus, our Savior. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to put away all bitterness, all anger, all slander, all that is within us to divide or stir up division or give airtime to those who would do so. And help us to walk in harmony as those who are called sanctified into this community. In Jesus' name, amen.